0: I don't think I ever once imagined that in my 60s I would see myself moving with Carol to Vancouver Island <laughs> in Canada to live. Having said that, I probably never imagined that one day I would move to the United States and spend about a third of my life there, almost 20 years uh, we spent in the US. Early in my life, I probably never once imagined that I would become a Christian and seek to give my life in service to Jesus. But one of the things that we find is that when we are sincere and when we genuinely experience the Lord move in our hearts, something changes. And I want to talk this morning about a life's purpose being transformed because this is what comes with the call of God upon our lives. And I think especially in these days, in the situations we find ourselves in the circumstances of our world as we work through this Uh, COVID-19 situation and on top of that a lot of the uh, fighting violence, uh, racial situations that have emerged over the last few days the last couple of weeks or so in many ways racism ethnicity, conflict has been a part of the story of the earth since its beginning even back in the book of Genesis, Genesis 4 Cain and Abel and murder that comes in but what does God got to say about this? And what might our purpose in the midst of all this be? I want to talk for a moment just about the story of God's glory. It's a word we often use in worship and have done today. Uh, but it's a, it's a story that we're invited into. If we go right back to the book of Exodus and the calling of Moses, here's a man around 80 years old when he has this experience of the burning bush. And he's called towards it and God speaks to him. As he's watching this phenomenon in front of him. And it becomes holy ground. As, as Moses begins to experience something of the glory of God. For many of us, this, it's an invitation to, to stop and wonder at the glory of God. As the, as the story continues, it's a one of unfolding of God's glory, of his very essence. And of our experience of that glory, of that power. And of God's beauty in our lives. As Moses leads the people out of captivity, he brings them to Mount Sinai. And it's on the mountain as, God, as Moses meets with God. And ultimately gives him the, uh, the, the, the commandments as the foundation for the covenant relationship God wants to establish. And the cry of Moses was, show me your glory. And so much so that Moses came down from the mountain and his face shone radiant with that glory. So much so that he had put a veil over it. But that glory faded over time. As the story continued and God called Moses to build a tabernacle because God wanted to reveal his glory. He wanted to demonstrate his presence with his people. And as they dedicated the, the, the tabernacle, the glory of God fell there was a time in Israel's history when suddenly the glory departed. The Ark of the Covenant, which represented the place of God's presence, was taken from them as they were overrun. And as the story came back to Eli, the priest, of how this had happened and his sons had been killed, he falls over and dies. And in that moment, um, his son, another son is born who is named Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has departed But God doesn't give up. Later in the story of Israel, God raises up King David. And ultimately it will be his son Solomon who builds a temple. And it's said that, uh, we read this in 2 Chronicles, that the priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of God filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down, the glory of God, the Lord, above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, "He is good; his love endures forever." Through the story of the prophets of Israel, when Israel wandered away from God, and from their experience of the glory, there would be moments of revelation. But then there's a, there's a period of calm, and between the end of the Old Testament, some 400 years, before one night on a hillside outside Bethlehem, the angels, we read in Luke's Gospel, are revealed to the shepherds, and the glory of God is all around them. And it's the announcing of the birth of Messiah. John, writing his gospel, reflects upon this. The Word that had been with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, in his life as he grew and as he comes to be baptized by John in the River Jordan, the Spirit descends upon him and the Father speaks... And his ministry is inaugurated and begun. And it leads to his death. And ultimately his resurrection and ascension. and, And the command to the apostles to wait for the promise of the Father. Last week we celebrated Pentecost. This was a fulfillment of that promise. When the glory of God was poured out through the Spirit in us. This is God's story of his glory. But it's a story he shares with us and invites us into. And I'm so glad that that's been a part of my story and a part of many of your stories here. But it's not finished. But one thing in the midst of this, and particularly for us as Christians, those who choose not only to believe upon and trust in Christ, but to follow him, is that it's an invitation to allow our identity to be shaped by his identity. We become not just a part of the story, but we become a part of the identity of God himself. Now, as I grew up, in a family in the northeast of England, um, my sense of identity was shaped by what I experienced in that family as a, as a middle of three boys, uh, experiencing our parents and life as we did. These were hugely shaping events, and they shaped my, th- my sense of who I was and why I was here, and there was a lot of confusion about that. There weren't a lot of positive images that were reinforced, and so as a 25-year-old, On a career path, working in central London, God invaded my story. The very glory of God touched my heart in a way that changed me forever. And it gave me a new purpose that God continues to try to unveil for me. For us to discover our identity, allow his identity to shape ours, we must discover who he is. And Paul, in the reading we had from Colossians, really helps us in this. We read that the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. This is who Christ is. He's the creator. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's the glue that holds creation together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the clue for us to understand the world and creation. He's the head of the church, the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in him, everything, he might have the supremacy. He's the one who defeats death. And he's the one who is the very expression of the fullness of God. The one who reconciles creation to himself by his death upon the cross. And in this act of love, this act of self-surrender, not for himself, but according to the will of his Father, but for the sake of you and I, Christ makes peace between God and creation. He heals broken humanity. Paul goes on to say, For God was pleased through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is what Paul describes as the mystery once hidden from ages past, is that God has brought his Christ, his Messiah, his anointed one, into the world to reconcile not just Israel, but all of creation, all people groups, all races to himself. An important message for our current situation is to remember that we are all made in the image of the one God, wherever we are from. God chose Israel, who was the least of, the small. Just in the same way as he chose Abraham, he began with the small, but his heart was always to the nations to reconcile all things, to provide for life for us because of his great love for us. And so this love conquers sin and death and hatred. His love brings peace between humanity and God. And this is why ultimately the greatest message for today as it has always been is the message of Christ. And Christ becomes the clue to show us how God loves us, how he loves you, how he loves me. And therefore, because of that, in him, this is who we become. I want to just pause a moment and just invite Jesus to speak to your hearts, to recognize that we have been grafted in to Christ, grafted in as the people of God. We, white Europeans, many of us, grafted in to a Middle Eastern family. We are the beneficiaries of that. And though we sometimes sadly believe as whites we reign supreme, only God reigns. And we are beneficiaries of his mercy, but we're also meant to be givers of mercy. Paul writes in Ephesians, For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the Anointed One, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus has for us. We are deeply loved by the creator of the universe. And I believe he wants us to rejoice in our identity as God's beloved. I watched an interview of, uh, by David Feherty, he's a golf commentator, Irishman. And he was interviewing Bill Russell. And Bill was um, a basketball player, played for the Boston Celtics, won 11 championships with them. He was actually at the Lincoln Memorial when Martin Luther gave his uh, famous I Have a Dream speech. And 50 years on, he's still a part of the movement as a black man to try and work this out. Interestingly, in his speech, part of JFK's, uh, the energy of his his passion and his commitment to equality was for his poor little children, as he called them. But he wasn't speaking about just his own. As David Feati said in the interview, he says, I believe he was speaking about my children and your children. Because we all ultimately belong to him and therefore to one another in him. And in the interview, David Fearty said to uh, Bill Russell, I sometimes find myself, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to give or to make a difference with regard as a white man. Can you hear the strains of sometimes as Christians, we're wondering why we're here, what's our purpose, what are we supposed to do? Well, Russell said he's often asked that question. the first thing that he said that came out of his mouth was, be kind to your wife and to your kids. I was really touched by that. He says, you need them and we need them to experience kindness growing up. To see that kindness, treating people respectfully, honoring value is normative. Kindness is not weakness. We're told it's a part of the fruit of our union in Christ through the Spirit. We experience the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And our children are to, be, to grow up experiencing that kindness. This is what makes us, as Martin, Martin Luther King finished his speech, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. At last. So that we would serve one another in love. Because as wonderful as it is to be loved, And we can never get over the wonder of that. I can't at least. God's love has a distinct aim in mind. And it's to bring us to participate in expressing that love and that life to the world. This is what Paul said by saying, God wanted to make known to those among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Christ in you. Christ, the image of the invisible God, the creator, the glue, the head of the church, the one who defeats death, the fullness of God, is in you. And that's meant to make a difference. Because our identity is fundamentally found in the person of Jesus Christ and his work. And as he revealed the love and the glory of God in the world, uh, we too would find our identity in making his glory known to the world, in allowing that same glory to emanate and flow from us. As we believe in Christ, as we put our trust in him, then we experience the beginning of this transformation, In fact, we're told we're taken out of death into life, from darkness to light, from hate to love, and it's an invitation to live in this relationship with Jesus. God invites us to share with the world the good news of Jesus' love to the world. This is our ultimate hope, because it's not just for ourselves, but it's a participation in God's heart and plan and purpose for the whole world. How do we reveal god 's glory? Well, if you read on <laughs> in paul 's letter, you'll get many clues. We've already won of one. We're, sorry, we've already read of one. Partly we reveal glory in what we say. We proclaim him, we warn, we teach. we comfort, we give. It's how we live. The way we proclaim glory is the manner in which we live and carry ourselves. We're told to put off the old. You know, that old Mike shaped by this family of origin. I bring a part of that with me into the story of God. But now I have a new identity and I have a new purpose. But there's new power as well. I've been given a new man or a new person. Uh, We all have. It's him. (laughs) And we're told to put him on. So put off anger, deceit, hiddenness, and put on. We reveal the glory in the manner in which we treat one another. Do we show that mercy I spoke? Do we express kindness, as Bill Russell reminded us about? Do we act in humility, thinking not only of ourselves, in fact, not primarily, but of others? Are we gentle? Do we forgive quickly, and importantly so? Do we exhibit the peace of Christ because of what he is doing and has done in us? And Paul also then will go on to say that we we release and exhibit this glory in our lives at home. This is why our marriages, the way in which we bless our spouses if we're married, the way in which we treat our children if we have them, echoing back to those words of Martin Luther King, isn't it fascinating how important the home is? Because we're trying to create a new family of origin rhythm that some of the things it took me years and years to get free from and broken off of me so that I could literally walk in the newness. I want my children, my children's children, to have more of the blessing of the new life, the new man, him. And this is our transformed purpose, to bear the image of God that was once marred but has now been restored, to be glory bearers, To carry the glory of God into the world. All of us. And all of these facets and aspects of our life, how we live, what we say, the way that we treat one another, our lives at home when nobody sees, these are to be devoted to Christ. Paul says, like I said, put off the old person and put on the new. Who is like our creator, Jesus himself. It's his nature. It's his character. And all of these environments and our opportunities, the good and the bad, even when we fail, it's an opportunity to train us and teach us and to help us grow up into the image of our Savior, as well as further opportunities to demonstrate and communicate the wonder of his message, to speak of the mystery of the Messiah to the world around us. This is why the Spirit is given. This is why Pentecost is celebrated and we live in a constant Pentecost so that the very glory and light of Christ in us would cause us to live differently and reveal him to the world. I just want to pause as we close and invite you to ponder this reality that God in his great wisdom sees you as a bearer of his glory. He shared his life with you. He has entrusted himself to you. Now, how does that impact your heart? Does that make a difference? Does that draw you deeper into his love for you and a deeper desire to make that love known? As As you ponder this reality, of this extraordinary call to know God, to be in relationship with him, to both give and receive love to and from him, but also to bear the image and essence of that reality out into the world in which you live. I want you to reflect upon your lifestyle for a moment, upon your relationships. Think about your personal life, your family dynamics, the work that you do, your spiritual life. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to speak and to reveal. Is there any aspect or part of your life that may be hindering in some way God's great delight and desire to reveal his glory through you and for him to be known through the dynamics of how you live? Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you about why this may be the case. And bring that in a prayer of confession to the Lord. Knowing that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We do this from a place of covenant love, of being the beloved, of God for us, believing in us more than we believe in ourselves. And yet, committed to Christ being formed in us. Our being changed and shaped by this extraordinary love. And so we can come with confidence. We can confess our sins we can own the brokenness but also invite the power of the holy spirit to touch us to change us to give us new desires a new power a new truth to live by let's bow our heads and pray and allow the holy spirit not just to bring revelation but to bring assurance of forgiveness thank you father Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great goodness to us. Thank you that we, we have a, a life transformed, a new purpose because of Christ. Thank you that when I set out on my life, I had my own ideas to some extent, but really I was clueless, and yet you stepped in and you changed everything for good. That you gave us not just a purpose, but a, a destiny that is kept in heaven for us. And so, Lord, help us to live in a manner that honours you, in a manner that reveals more and more of your glory. And give us courage, Lord, to be changed, to receive new truth, to risk new patterns and new ways of relating to you, to one another, to our spouses, our children, our friends, within our community. For the glory of your name we pray. Amen.